one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. The structure from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you've got variables to change the characters, you've got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you here. We're brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-C-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. From traps, snares, baits, lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line, Cots Bros has it. Moyle Mink and Tannery, get your fur tanned by the professionals. Moyle is a family-run operation out of Idaho. They do an incredibly good job. You can find them at moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net. Use their online customer portal. And hey, you don't want your fur sitting around after you've caught it and flushed and stretched and dried it and, and I leave it sit around for a while. You're going to have problems. Bugs are going to get to it. It's going to rot and stink. Get that fur tan. They do a really good job, and it is just a beautiful pelt um, preserved for the long term. Just a nice soft leather beautiful cleaning job done on the fur it's just uh, it, it is the way to get your fur preserved and uh, it'll it'll allow you to enjoy that fur for a very long time whether that's going to be a wall hanger or a craft project or a gift for somebody or, or whatever and on x maps use your phone as a gps on the trap line and i waited for a second to do the on x uh, read because i had something from a listener that i wanted to share with you but if you hear a little bit of noise in the background, I just got driven off the tractor by a impending thunderstorm that was off in the distance. And I thought, you know, I'll take a few minutes to come in and record the podcast while, while I'm stuck undercover. And so it just started to rain and uh, I heard a little bit of thunder and lightning going on a minute or two ago. So, oh, there's a roll of thunder right now. So if you hear that, that's what's going on, and uh, hopefully this headset doesn't make me more vulnerable to this lightning storm coming. But anyway, Onyx Maps, yeah, this is just an incredible app, very, very useful for so many different things, and I thought I'd share one other way someone uses Onyx, because I think I mentioned in the past, if you've got any unique uh, things you use Onyx for, let me know. Lately, I've been using it to scout hay fields and get acreage off of fields and, and look at you know, shape of the field and obstacles and proximity due to each other as I'm getting ready to go in there with my tractors and equipment to, to cut hay 
uh, it, it really does help with the planning process. But this is one a listener, uh, Mark from Tennessee, said, uh, I wanted to add a weird use of on X. I'm a firefighter, and we had an apartment fire the other day. In our report, we have to give square footage of the structure, and I usually just guess. Our team couldn't agree on a number, and I remember the measurement tool on OnX. I just zoomed in on the building, traced it, and got an exact square footage without leaving the fire hall. I also gained five new farms for next season already just by scouting on it. Thanks for all you do for trapping. So thank you, Mark. And guys, uh, again, just another example of the many things that you can use OnX for. Now, if you haven't yet got this app, you can try it for free. But if you do decide to purchase, go to onxmaps.com. And when you go through their website and do the checkout, you can use, there's a spot where you can input a code uh, a promo code, use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, and you're going to get 20% off. So it's a great discount, great opportunity to to get on with uh, OnX. So anyway, the rain is starting to come even harder. Uh, I don't know if I should speak louder or not. I'm going to shut the window here. Computer's going to get rained on. So it's, uh, yeah, we could use the moisture. we got to grow some more grass here. So um, it's. I guess it's going to be good. It looks like uh, the forecast is just rain, 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 off and on for the next uh, 10 days or, or longer. So uh, it might be, make it a little hard for actually finding a window to cut hay here in the next couple of three weeks. But um, anyway, we're, after the drought we had last year here in the Northeast, it, it's hard to complain about rain. So in tonight's episode, we got a really exciting one for you. I talked with Jim Comstock of Comstock Custom Cage. Jim makes cage traps. He is uh, a longtime trapper, a professional in the trapping industry for decades. Really interesting guy to talk with, and we talked for a long time, had a great interview. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Before we get into that, though, I wanted to remind you that you can go to trappingtodaystore.com to check out all the products that I offer, and I want to uh, provide a little bit of a discount code, uh, actually a big discount code for this week uh, for folks that are interested. If you've kind of had it in the back of your mind when I've mentioned the different things I have for sale there, but you haven't made a purchase yet or you're ready to stock up or or ready to make a purchase, this is a great opportunity. And so uh, just a, a reminder, I have the Mustelid t-shirts. Uh, those are... Uh, beautiful artwork produced by Philippe Willis, one of the, the listeners of the podcast and a, a professional artist of all the different Mustelids in North America. Uh, awesome pictures of them and uh, just got Trapping Today logo on that and, and uh, prized Mustelids of the North American Trapper um, in in print down below those images. It's a really cool shirt. Uh, it's a high quality shirt. It's especially nice for the summertime because it's this Bella Canvas light weight uh, poly blend shirt and so uh, I think uh, you, if you haven't tried that you ought to check it out I had some listeners sending pictures of them wearing the shirts uh, either on the trap line or just kind of hanging out and it's that was kind of cool to see I've uh, got books we got Walter Arnold main trapper stories from one of the last mountain man and the uh, manly hardy book about trapping back in the uh, 1800s so there's that uh, we have lure the long distance call uh, and a number of other lures that I have there that you can check out. But the long-distance call is is by far the most popular lure. Uh, also, the beaver lure is actually out of stock, but I have some other lures that you can check out. 
And uh, the drinkware, the coffee mugs, Trapping Today coffee mugs with the new logo with the Martin. Uh, folks uh, are, are really going to love that if you haven't checked them out yet. And the fur shed is shaking with this uh, latest thunder clap. Uh, wow, that's a, that's a good one. So the discount codes, uh, SUMMER10, that's uh, S-U-M-M-E-R-10, is going to get you $10 off any order of $50 or more. And summer 25 is going to get $25 off any order of $100 or more. So we're talking a 25% discount and free shipping on all that stuff too. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it's a big discount, but I figure what the heck, it's summer, things are slow. Be nice to move a few items uh, on the store. I also uh, grabbed a couple more of those Russ Carmen traps I found. Um, and uh, you could check those. I think I only have two left, but, uh, but I put two more up on the store if folks are still interested, if you didn't get a chance to, uh, to get one of those. So anyway, trappingtodaystore.com, summer 10 or summer 25, that's going to expire the 1st of July. So you got about oh, eight or 10 days from the time you listen to this to, to get that done. Okay, let's get into talking with Jim Comstock. I'm going to leave a link to, into, uh, to Jim's uh, webpage where he has the traps for sale. Um, also, some contact information for Jim. Jim is very unique in that he is all about customer service and he is willing to spend the time to talk with you. So if you have any questions about cage traps, about how to use them, about his products, he is more than willing to talk with you on the phone uh, or answer emails, uh, very responsive. So the website is Comstock, C-O-M-S-T-O-C-K, customcage.com. And the email address is info, I-N-F-O, at con stockcustomcage.com phone number is 518-792-2371 and you can feel free to contact him by either of those methods Um, and we're going to get in in this first uh, episode we're going to actually split this up into three different segments because we talked for a long time and there's a lot of information there and uh, so in this first segment we're going to talk about how Jim got started trapping a little bit of his experiences trapping with Johnny Thorpe, different states he trapped in, including we talk a lot about California, bobcat trapping, um, and the how he started designing his first cage traps. So it's a great little background on Jim and how he got into the cage trapping. Um, and uh, again, I'll, I'll provide some links to, uh, to the, the website and how you can contact Jim on the description of this episode in, in the show notes. So thanks, guys. Let's get into it. Jim Comstock, thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. Great to have you. Well, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Why don't you start out by giving us a little bit of introduction on how you got started trapping? Well, I was a kid back in the mid-60s, and uh, we hunted and fished, and a friend of mine I decided, well, trapping might be the thing to do, and we started setting a few muskrat and raccoon traps, and then the following year, we learned of Johnny Thorpe, who was just up the road from us about 20 minutes, and he was a very well-known trapper. So we started uh, going up to his place and hanging out. And the first, I remember the first time we were up there, we saw, you know, bobcats, and then there was coyotes and otter and fisher and everything on the floor there. And it was, uh, it was an eye-opener, and it was like, at that point, I think this is something I got to do. Was this in upstate New York? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're in the foothills of the Adirondacks. We're in. I'm in, actually in Saratoga County, um, 
you know, just a little bit north of Albany. And so what was the first animal you caught? Do you remember that? Probably a muskrat, I would think. It was with my friend Bob Baker. He was, you know, my age, and uh, we used to set traps before school over what they call Whipple, Whipple's Creek on the Hudson. And then uh, his dad owned some property uh, called Mud Pond, now part of the state park. But we caught a few raccoons over there. And, uh, and then one thing, you know, led to another. Next thing, we were trapping foxes and caught a couple coyotes and a bobcat and just kept going. <laughs> so you've been trapping for quite a while now. Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, beginning beginning to feel the age now. <laughs> and so uh, did you, did you, when you were starting out trapping, could you kind of uh, make a decent income at it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be ridiculous. We, we just putzed around with it, and henceforth, uh, my father's comment, he, he told me on more than one occasion, he said, I'll pay you not to trap. That gives you an idea of what he thought of it. I mean, it was like any other kid's hobby at the time. You know, you caught a coon. Uh, we take it up to the junk dealer, get 50 cents for it. Uh, you know, muskrats were bringing a buck, buck and a quarter. Um, we trapped foxes in those days for the bounty. We got 3 and $5 bounty on them. Really? Yeah. And so, but you kept at it. Uh, yes, I did. I, uh, uh, it was one of those things that every time there was an opportunity to do something, that uh, I wanted to be there. And uh, Johnny had gone to uh, Virginia a couple of years in the, in the about mid-70s. I think it was there, 75 and 76. And he had just trapped a short time with another guy named Irwin. And this Tom Irwin, who had found the beaver down in Virginia, and then Tom didn't want to go the third year, and I said, yeah, I'll go. And uh, Johnny got a good partner. I was the one who did all the scraping. <laughs> so that, that would have been your first out-of-state trapping trip? Uh, let me think. Well, yeah, out-of-state. I did go to uh, Canada uh, when you could get a non-resident license in Quebec because uh, it was uh, a guy in Lake George who had a restaurant, this Joe Ferrone. And uh, Joe had two camps up on the Baskatong Reservoir, the um, Grand Remo, Quebec. And so his wife was from Manawaki. So we would uh, go up there, you know, get our licenses and spend a few weeks up there and trap. But, uh, you know, not making any big catches. We caught, you know, some martin, some foxes, you know, uh, skunks, beaver, otter, I guess a few mink and a muskrat or two. And that was, uh, I think it, that was around 74. And then it was shortly after that, then I started going to Virginia. And you can't go to Canada anymore to trap, right? I don't think there's any kind of non-resident traveling. In fact, even between provinces. Yeah. Huh. Um, most of it, it's just, uh, you know, if you're a resident, you get a license. Otherwise, no. So uh, what other states have you trapped in? Uh, been to Colorado, trapped California, trapped Alabama, set a few traps in other states. Uh, I, I got a, a license, uh, I think in Ohio for a couple of days one time and went out and saw some friends, but, uh, just a little putzing around here and there. 
what was the most memorable? Well, California was the last and probably the most memorable because we were out there uh, eight winners from the uh, 1982 till 1990. And Judy and I lived in a travel trailer for eight years, so we trapped bobcats, foxes, and coyotes. Um, coyotes we didn't really want to catch because most of them weren't worth much at all. So we kind of actually avoided the coyotes, but um, the, the bobcats, we were not high dollar cats, but they brought, you know, 100 some bucks, 120, 140 sometimes. Were there many people trapping in California at the time? Hardly anybody. Really? And what happened was the very first year we really, I knew I'd hit pay dirt because when we got there, the non-resident license was twenty-five dollars. Oh wow! wow. <laughs> that that lasted one year, and it, then it went up two hundred. Uh, I think two and a quarter, two fifty. It just kept climbing every year. And then eventually, you couldn't even get one. Right then, uh, we we trapped out there for. Oh, I'm watching a little buck out my window. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, we. Uh, trapped out there and until i say 90 and then by 96 they took away uh, foothold traps and then after that they uh you know they went to cages then they took cages away and then they took all trapping away so the only people that are doing it now are state employees or animal damage control people yeah yeah it's, that's really a shame to see what's happened in california Oh, geez, yeah. He kind of knew it was coming, you know, home of uh, nuts and berries and just crazies. So when you were trapping there, was it uh, mainly foothold traps you were using? Yeah, a little, little number one and three-quarter Northwoods. I say I modified them. I popped the jaws out and reversed them so they were offset. And uh, you had to use offset jaws out there anyway, and you had to use nothing bigger, I think, than a five-and-a-half-inch jaw spread or five and three quarters maybe it was it wasn't very big but for the bobcats are very small out there anyway most of them are 15 pounds or less oh wow huh. yeah i think the biggest we ever caught was maybe 20. and what what type of what types of sets were you using to catch those well it was first dirt hole sets like everybody and then when i realized that that wasn't the way to go then we flipped over to um trail sets and the difference was not just a little bit noticeable but it was ridiculous when you when you set traps for a week and have you know bobcats hooking out the bait out of your dirt hole set and walking around it and you didn't catch one it gets kind of discouraging and then when one one of the fellows out there just said well you could just set high and low and the year before, I'd been in Alabama and used uh, trail sets out there very successfully. And I thought, what the heck's wrong with me? So I went back to trail set. The, the country was all different. Out, out in, you know, in Alabama, it was a little more rolling and flat. And, and the trails were uh, just like water bars cut back into the woods or little deer trails. Where there, you were setting on ridges and washes. And when he said, yeah, you just set high and low, and I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. And the next day, I moved to trap five inches and caught three cats in four nights. So could you explain a little more what that what he meant by that, high and low? Yeah, you're setting on the, you're on the ridges, and you're setting in the bottom in the washes. Okay, just, just nowhere on the side hills. 
Yeah, and, and you can't say that nowhere on the side hills because there was places that I would drive around and all of a sudden you'd look and you'd say, that looks like a little trail right there just up through the brush. And you, you could, if you found cat tracks, um, you'd catch them. And there, there was places that weren't totally high and low, but uh, most of them, they were, they would, a cat would be up on a ridge or down in a wash within a night or two anyway. I don't think most of them were more than 100 yards away from where we set the traps. There was uh, uh, mice and rats and squirrels and rabbits and everything under every bush. So those cats, and you're also saying like they, they tended to follow trails pretty religiously? Cats are a great trail runner. If you can find a, uh, a good trail and, and you find a cat track on it, he'll be back. Foxes are on and off. Coyotes are kind of on and off. And so then we made kind of a combination set, which was a trail set. And then we used a little bit of gland lure with it. And then you caught the foxes and the cats. But the cats were, were pretty much blind sets in the trails. And did you have, uh, do you have any particular preference on like how much blocking you like to use in those? Very little. Yeah. yeah. You want to keep it low and wide. So, you don't want to bring all sorts of stuff up in their face, which you can do. They're still going to go through it, but it just it looks terrible. And then it, it shows it off to other people where just uh, bits of sticks, pine cones, little pea gravel, all that put down on the ground. You can direct them right into the trap. You know, you leave the pan, put a little sand on the pan, and that's where they're going to put their foot. Yeah. And all the junk that you put down... Uh, you know, you want to make it, I'd say, you know, 12, 15 inches wide, at least on each side of the trap, and then just shoot them right into it. And you don't miss many. So what turned you on to California? It was actually a fur buyer who had been out there buying fur for a few years because he had a friend from college that lived out there. And he mentioned that there was all kinds of critters out there. So we went. And you just I found some public land somewhere? Or? Well, actually, there was one of the, was a local guy here that had gone out the year before, and he was going to be a trapper out there, and he's a good trapper. But uh, he ran into some uh, pretty rough conditions because you can get, at times, you know, Santa Ana winds and things. You can get 60, 80-mile-an-hour winds, and, and then he, they got some terrible rains right after he set. And he was up checking traps. He had caught three cats in just a couple of nights and only 20 sets, so he was doing fine. But he came back one one night or one one afternoon after he'd been trapping, and his tent and all his gear was all blown up against the fence at the KOA with his gear all over the parking lot. So he, then uh, the buyer said, well, uh, you want to buy some cats for me? And so he put them on the road buying fur. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the weather because it, seems like it doesn't matter where people trap i talk to people from all over the country and no matter where you are there's certain type of weather that's going to be challenging if you're if you're out there trapping well the santa anas when they blow they blow for a lot of times uh three four days at a time and the wind will blow anywhere from 40 to 60 to 80 miles an hour and all of the interstates out there are closed uh, slab-sided vehicles any any semis, box trucks, uh, guys with uh, RVs and all that, it'll blow them right off the road. Jeez. And and I remember standing there, leaning out at probably like a thirty degree angle one day, 
just to see how far I could lean, lean into the wind without it uh, and still stand up. And it was, it was unbelievable. At the end of the day, too, you're exhausted. It just, yeah. it, it beats you to death. Yeah. But we, we'd end up moving, you know, trying to move more of our sets down in the washes on those days. The cats would come off the ridges. And then, you know, right after the wind stopped, then they'd be back up on top again. Yeah, like you said earlier, that you know those animals a lot, they like to move right after a storm. Right. Yeah. That's if if your sets are working after a storm, which is the hardest thing to do because that's after you've had the rain and a lot of times snow and then freeze and everything else. But if you're working then, then you're going to catch fur. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of guys that can say they went long lining in California. That's pretty pretty neat story. Very, very, very few people went, and when we did it, uh, we were totally tight, tight lip. Never said a word to anybody about what we were doing because all you'd have to do loose lips sink ships. And I knew that we'd have a, a lot of company from the east and didn't need it. <laughs> and you put up some pretty good numbers, huh? Yeah, we got over 100 cats a couple of years, and a lot of the other years, you know, uh, 70, 80. And that's in six weeks, basically. And you were living out of a camper. Right. Yeah. That, in fact, uh, not just living out, that was our home. Uh, that's where we lived after that. We, we bought it. We borrowed a trailer the first year, a little 17 footer. And then we got a 25 footer after that. And, and uh, when I say eight years of living in a camp, we pulled to Alaska in the summer a lot of times or back to New York. And then in the winter, we'd be in California. And you must have done, did you have things going on in the summertime to, to earn income while you weren't trapping? Yeah, we came back when we were back in New York. Um, we just went out and we had, had a little utility trailer and got a riding lawnmower, a couple of push mowers, weed whackers, and Judy and I just mowed lawns. Hey, that's a good idea. That's actually a, a real good fit for a trapper. It's not bad at all. No, you're, you're outdoors and, uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's not bad money. You do okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, how, what'd you do in Colorado? Well, we trapped there first. Um, the year that we went, Johnny was the one who wanted to go to Colorado. Um, I mean, I didn't mind going to Colorado, but we didn't know anything about Colorado. And so we got there, we kind of lost our butt. We caught a handful of coyotes, a couple of bobcats. And, um, I bailed out at the end and caught a few beaver, but they were, it was very early and they were, they were pretty flat. I remember it froze anchor ice. I don't know. You know what anchor ice? You ever see that? Yes, Where it freezes yeah. From, yeah, that's nasty stuff. But I mem remember when it did, and and uh, Johnny didn't bring any help, hip boots with him. I was a Boy Scout, so I was prepared. So I said, uh, I asked him if he wanted to go with me. He said, nope. And I think I went out and set, uh, I don't know, 12, 11 or 12 traps, and I came back the next day with nine beaver. And uh, he, he swore I wasn't going to catch anything, but there wasn't many to catch there, but I caught what was there. So in the Colorado, was the trouble just not finding ground that had fur on it? Yeah, you know, you, when you go into new new country, um, you, you really need to do your homework. you got to have some sort of an in, or somebody's got to know what's there ahead of time. You, if you just blow in there cold like that, oh, my God. It was beautiful country. I mean, we were up in uh, Colorado, above Colorado Springs and Woodland Park, and then ended up over in uh, Rangeley. And it, it was deep places to be, but 
there was one of what they call the estuaries, and that was the wettest that they'd ever seen, I think. And so every single day it rained, and all that gumbo was just slop. Yeah. So it wasn't much fun. But then we went on to California, and Johnny kind of ran out of money, so he, he went back home. Now, you talk, You mentioned Johnny, and a lot of people know that name. Um, I, I suspect you must have learned a couple of things from jo- Trapping with Johnny Thorpe. Well, I learned a lot of things not to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, we learned a few things in the beginning or whatever, but uh, um, when, we were, when we were in Virginia and whatever, um, I, carried the, I carried the game. We, we got, I got us permission on Lake Anna, which is the thing that really saved our butts because that was Virginia Electric and Power. And what happened was he, he had met the game warden one day, uh, just, you know, he's out checking traps, game warden walked up to him and, you know, said, let me look at your, your license and all your stuff. And uh, so it was about two weeks later. I'm talking to John, and I said, "Boy, if we could get on Lake Anna, that would be that would be our salvation." And because uh, I was driving by it every every day to trap pulp company land down below in Louisa and Orange County, and I saw the beaver houses. And uh, so I mentioned it to John. He goes, "Oh yeah, Boggs mentioned something about that. He said if we wanted to trap the lake." And I was like, "Whoa, you you told him yes, right?" He says, "I didn't tell him anything." And I said, "Well." Why not? He said, well, I don't know. I don't want to go out on a boat. He says, I don't want nothing to do with a boat. And I said, well, maybe your partner does. So I was on the phone literally in 10 minutes. And uh, I landed the permission on the lake. And then that year we caught 188 beaver just on Lake Anna. Yeah. That, it, made a huge, it made a huge difference. Was this, was this in the 80s? What time frame was this? Uh, 70s. 70s, okay. And he, yeah. would, he would have, would he, how would Johnny compare an age to you? Is he uh, quite a bit older? 17, 17 years. 17, okay. Yeah, he was born August 1st, 1933. So he must have experienced a, you know, a certain thing in his generation where uh, trapping was a big money game and you were very secretive about where you set your traps and, and uh, didn't share many things with other trappers. Oh, well, back when it was fur trapping, we didn't share Nobody shared anything with anybody. I mean, now on the Internet, everybody shares everything with everybody. <laughs> and in those days, everything was really secretive. I remember uh, he was when we first learned how to bait a conibear, just take a, a couple of popple sticks and wire them to the jaws. And I remember uh, we paid him two dollars to teach us. <laughs> And uh, that's when we went up to Newcomb Sportsman's Club in the Adirondacks, set our first couple of beaver traps and caught two that first trip. And that really got me excited with beaver trap. That was just that was just the neatest. So, yeah, yeah. Johnny had a good partner because I would all, when we first started out, he said, well, if, you, if we're going to do this, he says, I'll do the tacking, uh, but you're going to do all the scraping. And of course, the scraping is the work. But um, in the in the three years we were together, I scraped about eight hundred of them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Must have got so, pretty good at it. Uh, well, you know, and that's the thing. If if there's something that is your passion and that's what you like to do, 
You don't care what you got to do. You just immerse yourself in it. That's what you want to do. You're not watching the clock. You're not, you're not worrying about who's putting in more work or time than anybody else. It's like, I'm loving what I'm doing and, and I'm going to do the best I can at it. So yeah, I, I scraped and piled them up. He tacked them. And, uh, at the end of three years, when he decided to go with Bud Boda and go to Arizona, I was still going to go down to Virginia and I asked him if he wanted to go, but he, he was tired of it going down there, I guess. So he wanted to try something different. So he went West to trap coyotes. And, um, by then I was all, I was all set. I had everything all rigged up. I had, you know, all my boards and nails and uh, everything to, to, to do with beaver trapping. And, uh, then just as luck would have it. The prices went through the roof. The first years we were down there, they were 10, 12, 14 bucks at best. I don't even know if they got to 14. And uh, I sold the first ones that year alone for, for 19. The next batch I sold for 27 straight. And the last batch I sold for 35 straight. So, um, so Virginia treated you well. Uh, that, yeah, that, the last two years that I was there alone especially. The year before we had, we had, you know, we had good numbers. We had over 400 between us. And then the next two years I had over 200 alone. So, and then the prices was way up. So I did well, caught a few raccoons, a few foxes at times, but uh, mostly beaver. Yeah. And from there till today, how'd your, your trapping kind of evolve? Well, when uh, we decided, uh, you know, well, we decided, well, we decided to come back to New York, but the, uh, the fur market is kind of what dictated it. The, uh, the bobcats were down to $30. The foxes were $5 or $0. If you, could, you might not even find anybody to buy them. And so we came back to New York. We, so I had taken a class in log cabin building, so it was Swedish Cope. It's when you cut each log to fit the log below it. There's no spines, you know, no flat sides, no chinking. And so we built the, we built the cabin. And um, once, uh, once we got the cabin built, we started looking around and seeing what the beaver numbers were. And because it was one county here, it's Washington County, they had closed the beaver season for years. And they, you know, they had stocked them in there, actually. DEC had moved them in there. And the population started to grow. And all of a sudden, they realized they had a problem. Nobody was trapping them because the fur market was terrible. When I started trapping them, I trapped them here I, for, the, for the town of Greenfield for a little bit. And I remember averaging $8.55 and $6.85. So it wasn't much. And uh, But... Trapping was my thing, so I started doing it, and all of a sudden, they're up to $25 average and $30 average, and then people are stopping me on the road saying, geez, we got problems everywhere, and the next thing you know, it morphed into animal damage control beaver. And uh, and then it, then from there, you know, I remember a guy asked me one day, he says, I got a skunk in my backyard. Can you catch him? I said, well, we'll try it. <laughs> and then I bought some used cage traps from a fellow named uh, Mel Berger lives down below me here towards Albany and he'd been doing ADC work for years so I bought a, a couple dozen of used traps from him and then expanded into woodchucks skunks you know a few then got into squirrels and wood or um, raccoons everything so uh, we're 
we're like 20 minutes in here and we, it, I'm surprised we went this long without talking cage traps <laughs> because a lot of guys that <laughs> hear your name uh, associate with cage traps. So the animal damage control work is, is kind of what got you into cage trapping. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when, when you're doing the ADC work, you know, you're in people's backyards, you're not going to go out there and pinch their cat or dog in a, in a foothold. And, uh, God forbid, if you're, if Kitty sticks his neck in a conibear, it's, it wouldn't end pretty. So, um, you know, it makes sense to use the humane live traps. And I started using single door traps that were gravity operated with a pan. Like and the, basically uh, the have a heart traps. Uh, that type. Yeah. I, I, I used some tomahawks. I guess I had a couple old safeguards and, um, yeah. And they're, they're all, you know, kind of similar in the way they function. And um, let's just say I wasn't totally satisfied with um, the, the pan traps, the way they worked. And, you know, having used conibears for years, I thought a conibear, you know, conibear type trigger would be a good deal. So it was 2003. I made a couple of great big heavy beaver traps. And I say they worked, but they were just too clunky, not that stable. And I remember the only thing worse than not catching a beaver was catching a beaver. <laughs> you you got a you got a fifty pound trap with a fifty pound beaver and it's like oh damn so they were hard <laughs> on traps huh oh uh, well uh, they were just too heavy just too heavy to carry okay you know fifty pound beaver with a fifty pound trap just too much weight so I said there's got to be a better way then after you make the first ones and then you study them you look at them now you know what you got to do for the next batch. And um, I say that if we got into making, you know, small traps for woodchucks and skunks, then it morphed into beaver. And the beaver trap was the one that I had in my mind for for a decade or better. And, you know, just a, a large swim through trap that you just tossed into the bottom and a beaver swam through it. And uh, the first one I said that it wasn't quite stable enough. I was worried about the trigger pressure being too great. It was actually too light. When you put the trap in the water, it adds lubricity to the trigger. So even if it's a little stiff when you're using it on land, when you put it in the water, it's slipperier. Okay. But um, I wanted it to be, you know, I didn't want to have it so they ran and, and uh, you know, broke their nose when they hit it and backed off. You want them to plow right through it. So the first thing I caught was a muskrat, and then I caught 10 beaver in a row, and I thought, well, maybe there's some potential here. So could you just a quick recap of how your traps were different from what was in the market at the, at the time? Well, the basic traps were not that rugged. The uh, framing and everything was uh, very light framing. And, you know, you could uh, definitely destroy a trap by stepping on it or leaning on it. Where these traps now, these any of these, um, I got 300-pound guys that use them for a step stool. And... Um, they will not break. You can, you can stand on In fact, if I get to a creek and the water's a little over my hip boots, I throw the beaver trap out there, step on it, <laughs> cross the creek, and then pull it with me. Nice. But uh, that was the first part was the framing. They're and then rugged, They're rugged, but they're also relatively light, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the beaver trap only weighs 22 pounds. What I say is this. You can use really, really heavy material and build something that's like an I-beam, or you can build something that's more like a truss. So it's built out of light material, but it still carries the same properties as far as strength. Yeah. And so um, 
we used good heavy quarter inch framing and uh, then of course i wanted the wire trigger and the the other thing was of course it needed power doors i wanted something not that they could back out of really quickly that the door just slammed shut and pushed them in okay so so, so um just to back up just for people who aren't that familiar with cage traps um the traditional cage trap is is basically a gravity a door that just kind of falls with gravity um and i could see how in the water being lighter in the water that would f door would fall even slower than you know the the typical slow uh have a heart trap that that you, you know you'd catch a skunk or a raccoon in and so so what you're saying is you're adding power to this closing mechanism so it closes quicker I was the first one to actually put power to the doors. Okay. I, put, I put springs on the doors, and then I put heavy springs on the lock bars. The ones that are, quote, gravity operated, they do have a light spring on the lock bar, but it is an incredibly light spring. And it will hold the door closed, but it really doesn't add much to, for speed. And these, these beaver traps... Uh, after I, I was going to set one the first day right side up and then I'm looking all this brush and stuff and I'm thinking it's going to pick up a lot of this brush and if it does it could get jammed in the door. So I simply turned the trap upside down and now the, the beaver swims over the door and then the trigger comes up from the bottom so they just push the trigger wires over. Then the, their feet are about even with the back door when the thing fires. It pushes their feet and their body right into the trap. Wow. So, so that is that what you're the trap that you make today? Uh, is that the design? Absolutely. And that was, uh, um, well, that was the weird part of this. When I built the first one, I thought, well, this is just going to be a trial and error. We'll see what happens. You know, I've done some little tweaking and modifications, you know, maybe to make it say easier to make or a little lighter or something like that. But as far as the actual design, it's never changed from the first one. And, the very first trap I made is in a Tom Parr's Trap Museum in Columbus, Ohio. I caught I caught a hundred beaver in it, and then I donated it to him. So, so that that obviously that design uh, worked quite well right from the beginning. Perfect. Huh. Now, uh, I asked you earlier about making uh, why why you would or wouldn't make a foldable trap. Can you go over that? Well, you just lose strength. You lose strength. When you have a collapsible trap um, uh, your, where your seams are, your joints are, it's not rigid. You know, you pull it up and then you drop a pin in or a clip or something like that. And that's not near as rugged as having quarter inch framing all the way around. Um, I, I tell a story of a fellow called me from Washington State and he said, yeah, your, your trap, uh, it's not too good, not in pretty bad shape. And I said, well, okay, well, what happened? He said, well, when the bear got a hold of it, <laughs> he said uh, there was a beaver in it. And I don't know if the beaver was dead or if he killed it or what, but he reached through with his claws and pu kept pulling the beaver up and, and pulling pieces through that. I was using two by two mesh at the time and pulled it through. And um, I mean, it, it looked like um, an elephant sat on it, you know. I mean, it was squashed. But, and I said to him, what a shame to lose a trap like that. He goes, no, 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 wait, wait. He says, the frame's still, still good, the doors are still good, and the trigger is great. He says, he just bent the wire. He says, send me a new piece of wire, and I'll slip it on. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Bingo, you got it. <laughs> yeah. And, and these are still fairly light for the guys that are uh, packing, like guys in – 
in Washington, I know that have to use cages for for bobcat and beaver trapping. A lot of those guys have to pack those traps quite a ways from the vehicle. Well, I've even had places here where I'm doing animal damage control work up on top of a mountain, and I've packed them in myself. And you think, well, that's kind of a kind of a waste, isn't it? Way up on a hill on a hot up on a hill and all that, and through the snow, and and I'm like, well, you'd think so till you get there, and you can find out how easy you can make sets and how much more you can do with these than you can with the conifers. It's 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 night and day. And I never regret it at all. It's one of those things I went up there and I had, I think I ended up catching six. I got five the first trip, one the second trip, and I was done. But it was a place where with conibears, there was just not much for good, easy sets. And uh, the cages have a lot more versatility. You can do so much more. And I was just writing an article for Bob Noonan here on using the dam break set. And, and this is regardless of what type of set it is. If you take that beaver trap and you set it on the ground and you look at it, you're looking at wire. You're looking at frames. You see quite a bit. You take that trap and set it um, up on a table. Look at it from the end and see what you see. Nothing. Yeah. Little quarter, a little quarter-inch frame, and that's what the beaver sees, almost nothing. They swim right into them without hesitation. As long as it's semi-centered up in the stream, they're not going to go around it. They're going to go through it. So, if, so it, it's, it's something that they're more willing to swim through than a 330? Uh, no less willing to swim through, and certainly because the opening is larger. It's a, it's a full 10 inches high. Uh, it's a 12-inch it's a trap, and the opening is maybe 10 and a half inches high after the door, but it's a full 18 inches wide. Okay. So it's about the same size as a 660, not quite as wide, but on that line. So, so in, those, in like six, those, six, those big wide runs that the beavers make in some places, you could just stick one of those in there and, and cover the whole run. You can stick three or four in there and cover a whole creek. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it all the time. Uh, you find, a, especially you find a nice wide creek where it's only maybe, you know, 12 to 18 inches wide. String it right across. Um, it was a fellow the other day that, that was saying the same thing. He says, oh, yeah, that's all they do. They find a good good spot like that, they put them across, and your life will have a beaver in every one of them. Kind of like setting colony traps. Uh, in, in a way, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't. You don't make multiple catches um, uh, with regularity, but as sometimes you do. There was one guy that uh, told us a story. He said, yeah, I caught two beaver in it. And we're like, yeah, a lot of guys do. He said, yeah, well, the small one was 56 pounds. <laughs> I said, well, that's a little different. I said, what was the other one? He said, 61. Wow. 100, 117 pounds of beaver in the trap at one time. And, and on a like note, there was uh, Marcy William, uh, Wilson in uh, Washington State. He set uh, a trap under a house where the, the otters are nuisance. They got nuisance otter all over the place out there. So they set the, the beaver trap right side up under the house in a, or, or a crawl space. And the landowner called him. He said, yeah, Marsh, you got some. You might as well come out here and get it. So he came out. And the, the otter season was open, so he was pelting them. Well, he shot the first three, and there was two more sets of eyes looking at him. Wow. He had five otter in the beaver trap at one time how does that work oh, 
it didn't hurt the trap at all. And, uh, um, he, 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 he took the five out. And I, and of course the first thing I said, was it a mom with a whole litter of pups or whatever? And he said, Nope, it was five 20 pound male otters. Huh? That is, that's strange to me. The stories, if, if you made it up, you wouldn't dare make up a story like that. And as we conclude this episode, the rain is pouring down on the metal roof of the fur shed. Uh, just a great place to be during a storm like this, and the wind is blowing. But anyway, finally, our message of the week from Kotzbros.com, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Sign up for the newsletter, check them out, and uh, and get, get updated anytime Kotzbros has something to say, whether it's a new product uh, market news and information, whether they're buying things like glands or whether uh, they they have a discount or a sale or a promotional uh, thing that get, they got going on. So check them out, cotsbros.com, and thank them for uh, supporting Trapping Today. All right, guys, thanks. And until next time, keep on talking Trapping, keep on thinking Trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode. 